you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey everybody, it's Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. Welcome to the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, where we're on the clock in Scott Fishbowl 13. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, joined by Michael F. Floyer. We're in studios. We got Josh and Susie. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we were off for a week. It feels like we have been gone forever. <laughs> How have you spent the past week and a half, two weeks, I guess? Um, I had a 4th of July little like barbecue. You, you were in attendance for? I was. For, it was uh, a good time. That, that, yeah, I had a good time that day. And then besides that, um, I joined a gym, so I've been going to the gym a oh, lot. look at you. And besides that, not a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, I just took some time off. Uh, the wife and I went to uh, to Vegas for the weekend. It You've was, had a lot more fun than me. It I was think. hot AF. Um, <laughs> we went to SneakerCon, a thing called SneakerCon out there, which I didn't know about. She found out about it. And so we went and, um, I mean, it's what you expect. It's It's a lot of people selling, you know, sneakers. Did you have to buy tickets for it? Yeah, tickets were relatively cheap, though. Okay. 
They're like 30 bucks to get in. The line to get in was ridiculous. Uh, we may or may not have accidentally slipped in front of a whole lot of people to get in there. Really, there you really go. Quickly, so. the, like I've gotten into sneakers more recently the last couple of years, mm -hmm. but I feel like the whole world has in the last... Maybe it's just yeah. I'm noticing it more, but I feel like in the last few years, it's just boomed even bigger i think it really has picked up the last few years and so uh i did pick up a couple of pairs that you know will probably make an appearance on fantasy live this I, season. i don't want to spoil them you showed me them they are very nice thank you thank you so yes uh if you had no other reason to watch nfl fantasy live you can watch it to see what <laughs> shoes uh that i might have bought this past weekend in las vegas but it was a good weekend until you know my flight got canceled on the way home that's a whole other story for another time we won't get into that uh what we will get into though some interesting football news as we get closer to the start of training camp. There are some headlines that are going to have some uh, interesting impacts, I think, across the world of fantasy. Also, a Scott Fishbowl 13 update. It is sort of the big event going on in the fantasy community right now. So we'll uh, kind of do a little bit of a vibe check on SFB 13 and a little bit of strategy. Best ball drafts have been going on for a while. We're going to start getting into managed league drafts coming up very, very soon. So we'll talk about a little bit of strategy differences uh, between the two formats there. And it's the return of Florio's Film Festival. We watched Armageddon. <sighs> we didn't enjoy it. Yeah, man, it, it was it was rough. We'll get into that. We'll get into that at the end of the show. But uh, let's start with a few news headlines, including one that popped up literally uh, about half an hour before we started recording this show. Uh, this was a tweet from uh, originally from Diana Rossini of ESPN. It says Saquon Barkley has made it clear. The franchise tag is undesirable. I'm told his availability for week one against the Dallas Cowboys will be in serious question if he does not get a long-term deal from the Giants. Now, the deadline for him getting that long-term deal is Monday. It's July 17th, I believe, <laughs> 4 o'clock Eastern. So why does week one and Monday like that? I don't know. I just know that according to the, the way the franchise tag rules work, the, the deadline to get a long term deal done is July 17th. So the Giants are very much on the clock. If Saquon really is threatening to sit out and he doesn't get a long term deal, uh, you know, I mean, are we worried now about about drafting Saquon? I, I laughed because I thought the expectation was like, the, it's week two he has to get it signed by or whatever. <laughs> like, you have no leverage if you have until Monday and you're threatening something two months from now. Uh, but I, I'm a worried a little bit about this situation and not just with Saquon, with Josh Jacobs as well, who's in the exact same situation. Like, Tony Pollard signed the franchise tag. He's good. We don't have to worry about him. The other two... They've both kind of talked about holding out and they've both they're they're trying to make themselves, I guess, martyrs in a way, saying mm -hmm. like we're doing this for running backs of the future, which I understand they have to do because the position has been completely devalued. But what I, I have done, I originally had Saquon and Jacobs both in my top five. They're not in there anymore. Now I have Nick Chubb ahead of them. I have Tony Pollard ahead of Josh Jacobs. I'm considering putting so I have Saquon six, Pollard seven, Jacobs eight. Considering even bumping Pollard up ahead of Saquon now. Yeah, I mean, I think it just it, – it is a little bit worrisome at this point. I know a lot of times we're in July and guys say they're going to hold out or whatever. Usually those guys are under contract and you feel like, okay, well, you know, fines will start happening. They're going to miss game checks. Something's going to bring them in. Um, 
this feels a little bit different because, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of these running backs are starting to sort of band together you know, for the sake of the position and the salaries. Josh Jacobs, as you mentioned, is one. Saquon is here. I mean, look, we're still in a situation where Dalvin Cook, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, those guys haven't gotten offers yet. So, I mean, we're talking about significant names that are either on the market or unhappy with what's being offered to them and talking about sitting out. Now, I know there's a school of thought where people are like, you know, whatever, running backs are replaceable. You know, yeah, so- let's see how the Giants offense looks without Saquon. I, exactly. How do the Giants <laughs> look without Saquon? How do the Raiders look without Josh Jacobs? He was he was the offense for them last 100% year. hundred percent of their rushing touchdowns and 80 percent of their rushing yards came from Josh Jacobs. So. Sure, I'm sure the Giants or the Raiders can find another body to put back there. Absolutely, those guys aren't going to be as productive as what they got out of their two frontline backs. Uh, So it is a major issue for those offenses. And I think for anyone drafting, I think you at least have to consider it, right? I don't think we're completely fading Saquon yet. We're not completely fading Josh Jacobs yet. But uh, as they say... Bleep is about to get real, and we're going to find out probably Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning like how real things are with these two players. And I understand the logic of like not giving running backs super long-term deals and, and all of that, but there's exceptions to the rules. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be paying Alexander Madison a bunch of money right, <laughs> right. now, but the Giants' backup option, unless they go out and they sign a Dalvin Cook or Fournette or Zeke or whatever – is Matt Breida. That'd be like saying, well, the Vikings don't need to pay Justin Jefferson. They have KJ Osborne on the roster. Right. Like it, it just doesn't work. No, and I think and I think there's there's a a shift coming in the way that, that people are thinking. Because I think now the conversation has focused on, okay, look, as as you said. You're not going to tie up a ton of resources necessarily or for a long time in a running back because the position is so fragile. Guys get hurt all the time. But I think people are also realizing that. You have a lot of really talented players there who aren't being paid probably what they're worth for the work that they do. And on top of it, you are discouraging future talent from playing the position. I mean, if you're in college, if you're in high school and college and you're looking to go to the NFL, you're looking around, you're like, mm, I don't think I want to be a running back because I'm getting beat up and I'm not getting paid. He d- it didn't work out because of injuries, but the Niners drafted a running back who took a, his first year off to try to learn to play receiver. Yeah, and I'm blank. I know who you're talking about. I, I thought that was going to be the future of the position. I got very nervous <laughs> yeah. when that happened. But yeah, I mean, I think I think I think the conversation is changing. I don't know that it that it's changing how teams approach it, but I do think I don't know. I'm just curious to see where this goes this offseason and whether or not, you know, we see a change because, you know, we've said it all the time on this show. We are a fan of guys getting paid. Um, and I think the guys who who handle a big workload and who take a pounding physically, I think, deserve to be sort of compensated uh, for the work that they are doing. Um, other running back news. Alvin Kamara has pled no contest to a lesser misdemeanor charge from uh, the incident in Las Vegas back in February uh, where he is on camera assaulting someone. Uh, So in one sense, it's sort of settled. I know it's a thing we had been talking about is kind of waiting to see what happened. So the case has basically been settled. Uh, Kamara has to pay a certain amount, I think $100,000 toward uh, the victim's hospital bills. He has made a public apology. Um, so 
It's not going to be a felony. It's a misdemeanor instead. There is still going to be a suspension coming very likely. Uh, I would say if you guys don't follow Drew Davenport on Twitter, you should go do that. He uh, does a very good job. He is a lawyer and he has a very good job of sort of explaining what this could mean and, and his expectations uh, for what suspensions could be, how it was handled legally, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of, of what it means for us, have you been drafting Kamara? Will you draft Kamara? And, and, and how are you looking at it? Yes, I've been drafting Kamara, and yes, I will continue to draft. He has, he keeps falling. It yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Like right now, on a certain best ball site, his ADP is 103. Alvin Kamara, not a top 100 pick at RB33 overall. And some of the running backs going ahead of him, Zach Charbonnet, Antonio Gibson. <laughs> I, I, I do not understand that at all. Uh, like I love James Cook. He's going ahead of him. I, I think, and the thing is, I understand people saying Alvin Kamara isn't what he used to be. And I'm like, okay, is he still a top 20 running back? Yes. Right. Am I going to get him outside the top 30 in the eighth or ninth round? Yeah. And I understand he might not finish. He might finish somewhere around RB30. But I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. And I learned from my mistake last year with DeAndre Hopkins. I was like, this guy's getting drafted as wide receiver 30. He's going to miss six games. No way he's going to live up to that. And he finished wide receiver 47. But when he played, he was the wide receiver nine on a per game basis. Yeah. So that's all I care about. I, I don't care about the suspension. And I don't want to guess two, four, six, whatever it might be. If Alvin Kamara could be anywhere close to Alvin Kamara for me come the fantasy playoffs, He's going to greatly increase my odds of winning a championship, and that's what I care about. But I do think the ADP has to do with people trying to guess what the suspension number yeah. was going to be, just because there was a lot of uncertainty. If he was going to be, you know, if he was going to have to go to trial, if he was facing a felony, I know there are some people who thought, you know, a full season suspension was possibly on the table. I'm very curious to see what happens to his ADP now that we have at least slightly more clarity. I mean, we're still waiting on the league office to sort of make a statement and make a decision on what happens. But I do think we have a little bit more clarity, and I think that ADP will come up. I've been drafting him. I've been taking shots at him. You know, look, kind of where the ADP has been, because I feel like if I can get a couple of good running backs, at least one solid running back, maybe two solid running backs, by the time he comes back, then I look great at the position. It that's like, So my strategy has been receiver round one, running back in round two, and then I probably won't take another running back till because the round two value is amazing right now at running back. But then I won't probably take another one till like round seven or eight. But if I could get like James Conner or James Cook and pair him with Alvin Kamara, I'm like, I just need one of those two guys to, to be an RB2 for me. And yeah. anything on top of that is great. No, I, I completely, completely agree. Uh, the other side of this, though, Kendra Miller was a guy that I, I liked. I still like him because I think early on in the season, he's going to have an impact and a chance to sort of establish himself. Uh, does this change how you view him at all? I, I've been targeting him as more of a late round like flyer, and I think that's where he belongs because he will have a role as long as Alvin Kamara is out. But I struggle to see how he's going to get consistent touches once Kamara's back because yeah. they paid Jamal Williams. I, I think he has a role there. Kendry Miller could be one of those players. Like if one of those other two running backs misses time late in the season, I think he could be a league winner potentially. He's got a lot of upside. But I, I think his ADP is fair as like a RB4 right now. I think that's fair. No, I definitely think it's fair. And for me, he has been very much a late round sort of, you know, 
not maybe end of draft, but sort of near the end of the draft uh, setup uh, for me, because you're right. Once Kamara comes back, it's going to be hard for him to get on the field. But I do think he's got, you know, an opportunity. And look, if if something were to happen to Kamara, you know, if if he were to come back and say get hurt, um, then again, there's an opportunity for him there. But yeah, understanding that his his opportunities are going to be limited probably through the midpoint of the season in Denver. Javante Williams says he'll be, quote, ready to go for training camp. There's been a lot of Javante Williams chatter on the timeline recently and a lot of comparisons to J.K. Dobbins and on and on and on. Um, Your expectations for Javante this season? I'm not very high on Javante Williams. Hmm. It's, It's nothing against him. It's the fact that in week four, he didn't just tear his ACL. He tore every ligament in your knee that you could. It, it, it's a, a super severe knee injury. And J.K. Dobbins, I think, is a good example of, but not for the way that he's being used. I've seen people <laughs> use him to prop up Javante Williams. And I'm like, a year ago, these quotes, I expect to be ready for week one, was being said by J.K. Dobbins. He was not ready for week one, and he tore his ACL in the preseason, not in week four. So while I understand, you know that, and we both loved Javante Williams before he was hurt. I I think he's a great talent. I will be all over him next year in drafts because I expect him to have a little bit of a down year this year and people maybe sour on him. You know that second year bounce back from the ACL is usually a, a thing, but right now, I think Javante, I, I get the ADP is low, but I think he's really, really risky. He is. Um, that being said, I've drafted him a couple of times, but I sort of have drafted him a little bit the way I've been drafting Alvin Kamara. And I get that the situations are obviously incredibly different, but in the sense of, hey, look, maybe they ease him back in and maybe it takes a few weeks for him to sort of get back up to speed. I'm not drafting him with the intention of, hey, look, I'm going to plug him in in week one and I'm going to be looking for 20 points a game. I'm drafting him with the hope that, look, if I do it right and I get a couple of guys ahead of him uh, that can keep me afloat, and if he does recover and he is ready to go, say, you know, look, he says he'll be ready to go for training camp. If he is up to full speed, say, by week six, then I feel okay about it. So mm-hmm. it is, you're right, it is completely risky because it was a an incredibly major knee injury. Um, so there is certainly risk involved. I have really tried to just sort of cushion that risk as much as possible by getting some insurance kind of around him and, and seeing what happens there. I, I do think if if he's one of those players that if we see him in training camp looking like his old self, his ADP is going to climb. A all we amount. all we need is one video of him just <laughs> making a jump cut or something yep. like that. And then everybody's going to go berserk and the ADP is going to go up to the again. moon. That's I, it. That's the one player I always associate with the rocket gift yep. is Javante Williams. Oh, yeah, because especially when we were like, Melvin Gordon's not coming back. It was it was insane uh, <laughs> the way people felt about Javante. Uh, last headline here, Jim Ursay talking about Anthony Richardson saying, quote, he has to play to get better. Ursay sort of couched it, though, by saying, look, he expects that, you know, look, right now, Gardner Minshew could probably go out and be better than him in week one. Uh, but that he expects and hopes that Richardson could be on the field to try and play his way into the starting role and, and getting better there. Jim Ursay has been one who just, you know, will speak his mind, but it doesn't necessarily have any impact on what happens on the field. Do you think Anthony Richardson will be Indianapolis' starter in week one? And, and does does Ursay's comments impact how you feel or how you may be drafting him? Since they've drafted him, I've been on the Anthony Richardson should be the week one starter. Like, 
and, and to borrow a line from friend of the show Emery Hunt, what can Anthony Richardson learn from watching a quarterback who he's already <laughs> better than? And, and no offense to Gardner Minshew, he's a good backup. We saw him get exposed at times last year when he had to start. Like Anthony Richardson is the future of this franchise. The only reason I have a little bit of pause is because sometimes teams say, like, we don't want to put all the week one pressure on the kid. I wouldn't be surprised if Minshew starts week one against the Jags. Revenge game narrative, all of that. But week two is against the Texans. Like, I feel like that, you want Anthony Richardson out there. That's a competitive game, another rookie quarterback, a defense that could be exploited. So I continue to heavily target Anthony Richardson in fantasy drafts. I do think you have to pair him with another safer quarterback. But... If I was Jim Irsay or or and the Colts, I'd be like Gardner Minshew, hold this clipboard. If Anthony <laughs> Richardson is healthy, he is playing every single snap. This I year. don't. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know what, you know, what Richardson can can gain from watching Minshew. They're very different quarterbacks. They're different stylistically. Uh, I just don't. I don't know that it makes sense for him to be on the bench. And I don't have a problem with drafting him because, like you said, you're you're probably not drafting him to be your week one QB one. You are drafting somebody else. So in fantasy, at least, you know the, the Colts may feel differently, but at least in fantasy, you have the luxury probably to wait on on Anthony Richardson a little bit. So look, I think I think when it's all said and done, we'll get through training camp. There will be some semblance of a competition there. I think Anthony Richardson is going to be the starter in week one. I, just, I, 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 I really hope so. I think it's, I think that's what it's going to be. I know that, you know, Ursay mentioned he sort of compared loosely Richardson to, to Peyton Manning in the sense that, you know, Manning started as a rookie and the Colts were bad that year. I think they were what three and Peyton Manning was terrible. That yeah. Year. You know, I, I think they were three and 13 that year, if I have it right. Either way, they were a bad team. The record, the win loss record was bad. Um, granted, Peyton Manning's college career looked vastly different than Anthony Richardson's college career. He was much more experienced, had played a lot more football by the time he got to the pros than Richardson has. Um, But I think the point being that, look, they shouldn't be afraid to throw a rookie starter into the fire, I think is kind of what it is. Very, very different, again, because he was the prospect of a a generational – like the best – it's funny. I just realized that we always say the prospect is the best since – whoever the last, the last quarterback last was. One was. But Andrew Luck played every game as a rookie as well. Yeah, I mean, so obviously the Colts are no stranger to taking a rookie quarterback and, and plugging him in right away. So we'll see what happens there. Turning our attention to the SFB 13. If you have been on Twitter.com, uh, you have seen, I'm sure people tweeting about it. You've seen the hashtag. You have seen the rosters uh, being put out there. Um I know there have been a couple of live events. Uh, I had a chance uh, yesterday to talk to to Chris Allen, who does a lot of great work over at uh, Fantasy Life uh, and other places. Uh, He was at the live Cincinnati one. Uh, I know there's one in Los Angeles this weekend. Are you going to the LA? I know Laquan Jones is going to be there. Are you going to be at the LA one? I wanted to, but uh, got some family in town this weekend. So I, I hey, just drag I them said, along. Hey, you guys want to go to a fantasy draft? <laughs> I was like, I don't think it's fun to bring them to a Scott Fishbowl draft. Yeah, uh, I won't be there either, but uh, I'm, I'll be looking forward to the pictures on social media. Uh, the live drafts seem like they're going to be a whole lot of fun. But we are both drafting. Uh, I know your your draft got off to a slow start. Things have picked up. Uh, how far along are you right now? We are in the middle of the, the fourth round. Okay. Uh, what does the roster look like? So I was picked 12 because I thought, let me take advantage of this third round reversal. But then it's a very long wait to your fourth pick. Uh, <laughs> I have Trevor Lawrence, Austin Eckler, and Nick Chubb so far. Okay. So you've gone running back heavy early yeah. in this draft. I normally don't. 
But I looked at the scoring and I was like, you get a quarter of a point for a carry. You get a point for a catch. Feels like Austin Eckler's a cheat code there. Yeah. So I took him and then the elite receivers were all pretty much gone when but Nick Chubb was still there so I was like hey I think Nick Chubb's gonna get plenty of work as well so yeah um that's not a bad way to go I I sort of went the opposite way we are midway through round six uh in my draft and I started I started with back-to-back quarterbacks where I went Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa which seems great until I realized that they both have the same bye week so I'll have to take another <laughs> quarterback a little bit later uh after that I followed up with Amon Ross St. Brown Kyle Pitts in the fourth. Fingers crossed that it comes through this year. Calvin Ridley in the fifth. Finally took my first running back in the sixth round where I went J.K. Dobbins. Um, I like your team a lot. Thanks. Sort of holding my breath on the Dobbins pick. We'll see what happens. I think because I went so pass catcher and quarterback heavy early, uh, I'm going to have to go very running back heavy sort of in the middle rounds to try and, and throw a few darts and see if I can get anything that, that sort of hits there. I, I did sort of look at the the fact of, I mean, one, the tight end premium made me feel like I wanted to get a tight end on the earlier side of things. Uh, so that's why I went with Pitts in the fourth round. Um, the the idea of you know, a point for first down is sort of interesting there. So I'm, I'm hoping that a guy like Amon Ra uh, helps yeah. out Calvin Ridley. Just these guys that are likely to get targeted on third downs when their teams need to keep the chains moving. Hopefully that sort of helps some things there. Um, but I do like, I mean, getting those running backs, I think a guy like Nick Chubb, a guy like Austin Eckler, those guys who who pick up the hard yards on third down, I think are, are useful. Yeah, I feel like my team is safe, but boring. Uh, whereas your team, I feel like you have the safety, like Jalen Hurts is safe as it gets a quarterback. Two of he could stay healthy, has like huge upside. Uh, at receiver, Amon Ra is super safe, I feel like, but I love Calvin Ridley. I think he has a league-winning upside. So I, And you know I'm a sucker for Kyle Pitts, so <laughs> I, uh, I really like the start you have. Yeah, we found out uh, sort of by accident that uh, our pal Laquan Jones is maybe not a fan of Kyle Pitts, which means we might have to excommunicate him from any future visits to the show. Uh, I don't know how that's... I don't I know said, how, how we have to bring him on and just let, let us fight to the death. Seriously, like, I don't know. I don't know how that slipped through the cracks when we were vetting him. Next that, time he comes on, I'm wearing my Kyle Pitts shirt. You have to. There's just there's no there's no way around it. Uh, I guess I should mention I was drafting from the number two spot, so that's how I uh, that's that's where I put together uh, that team. So I, yeah, I took tra- uh, Travis Kelsey went one dot oh one in mine, and uh, I took Jalen Hurts at uh, the second pick there. Um, did you have a particular strategy going into this? I knew I wanted at least one quarterback with my first two picks. Um, but my plan was unless my draft, because every one of these drafts is so different, mm-hmm. unless my draft didn't go quarterback heavy. Like if I could have got two of the top eight quarterbacks, uh, I would have. But to me, Trevor Lawrence was the cutoff there. So I was just happy to get him. Uh, and at once, like I was like, oh, I could take Deshaun Watson, but I was like, I'm I'm going to take Austin Eckler over mm-hmm. him. So uh, that in, in Superflex, that seems to be a strategy that has worked for me, not taking the second quarterback early and hoping to find like last year. I don't know if you remember in one league, I, I went in with, with Mariota and Ritter. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, I'm hopeful. Hopefully they run. <laughs> um, and, and cause then when everyone else is taking their second quarterback, you get a little bit of an advantage at running back and receiver. But again, each one of these drafts is completely different. Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny because in years past, 
I have gone running back early, and I've you know usually if I'm at the top of the draft, I'll take a running back, and because it's super flex, by the time it gets back to me, the quarterbacks have been so depleted. So this year I decided, you know what, I'm going to go quarterback heavy early, take that worry off my plate completely, and still feel like I can get some good pass catchers in there. So I've gone, I've kind of gone sort of a zero RB thing where I didn't, like I said, I didn't get my first one until the sixth round. I know there are probably some zero RB truthers out there that, that are going to yell that I'm still taking one too early. But, um, you know, so now I'm, I'm going to try and get some some running backs a little further down the line here. Uh, was there anything that surprised you early in? Uh... Um, a cu- Nothing crazy, but I was a little shocked to see Russell Wilson go ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Anthony Richardson. Hmm. And then... Uh, Equally as surprising to me was Najee Harris. I guess it's volume chasing, but ahead of Josh Jacobs. I I love Josh Jacobs if he plays, and I really don't want anything to do with any Steelers. I Yeah, the Steelers really frighten me. Najee Harris seems very, very scary to me. Um, the biggest surprise in mine easily is Dalton Schultz going as the second tight end. What? Third pick of the second round. And I don't know, like, I don't know if 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 someone fat fingered it or if they just have a strong belief in Dalton Schultz. But Travis Kelsey uh, was the very first pick of the draft. Not really a surprise there. Dalton Schultz goes at the 2.3, three picks ahead of Mark Andrews. No offense to whoever drafted him, but it was nice playing. Like, like you literally, <laughs> I don't even want to be sound like I'm exact like I think you've given yourself 0% chance of winning because even if Dalton Schultz is as good as you think he's going to be everyone else is going to have him in like the 7th or 8th round with a second round pick on their team so you're just behind the eight ball even if he's as good as you think it is I mean I'll say this it, he's putting together an interesting build uh with Christian McCaffrey first Dalton Schultz second Derrick Henry in the 3rd round Got his first quarterback, Daniel Jones, in the fourth, followed up with Kenneth Walker. So very, very running back heavy with Dalton Schultz and Daniel Jones. Uh, I hope you take C.J. Stroud to complete the stack. I mean, you might as well, right? <laughs> you might as well just just let that happen. Um, I, I was laughing, and I think we talked about this uh, either in Slack or text message. Uh, our pal Kat, Kate Majuk, who uh, took Trevor Lawrence number one overall. I love Trevor Lawrence. Wouldn't have done it. But. I love you, Kate. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, not not the move for me. But uh, hey, man, go have fun. Like I'm not gonna knock it. Go have fun. I did see someone say like you're you're very unlikely to win the Scott Fishbowl, so mm-hmm. might as well build a fun team. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good way I, of thinking it was about Scott it. Fish himself who uh, who said that like hey, look, your your odds of winning this thing are really low. <laughs> go out and have some fun. And so uh, I do. I absolutely a hundred percent. Uh, respect that. I do know, like some of the uh, the ADPs, not a surprise. Patrick Mahomes, the highest drafted player. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, following uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, really, Travis Kelsey is the only non-quarterback in the top eight. Uh, but because it is a tight end premium, and he is so far ahead of everybody else, uh, that completely makes sense. Christian McCaffrey, or uh, I say Justin Jefferson's your first wide receiver drafted. Not a shock there. Christian McCaffrey, your RB one so far. Uh, I've been going back and forth on this. Like I, I sort of get it because of what his skill is and the the Niners offense. I feel like he comes with risk though at the number one spot, just because the usage might not be what we want it to be. Is it because of Elijah uh, Mitchell? Elijah Mitchell. I mean, I went last year and looked when he joined San Francisco. He played. 67% of the snaps, about two-thirds of the snaps. Not a bad number at all, 
But part of why we loved him so much in Carolina is because he was playing 90% of the snaps. Um, They also had an offense where they had to give him the ball like 30 Mm -hmm. times a game. The Niners don't have to do that. Plus, the Niners have like, yeah, you can throw the ball to CMC 10 times a game or you can mix in Debo Samuel on some short passes and get him. I, I do think so for me. While I think CMC has the highest ceiling, I think Eckler's not too far behind, and I mm. think he's a little bit safer. So I have him as my RB1, but again, my whole RB strategy is like take a receiver in round one and then get like Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry. The list goes on of running backs available <laughs> in round two. Maybe not Saquon, depending on what yeah. happens on yeah. Monday. <laughs> uh, we will see. Anyway, uh, I'm sure if you were on Twitter, you will see more stuff about the Scott Fishbowl over the days and weeks to come. Uh, as the drafts continue. And if you are going to a live draft, uh, enjoy. Or if you went to a live draft, love to see some of the pictures uh, from those live draft events. Take a quick break. Come back. We will talk about the difference between best ball leagues and managed leagues uh, and a little bit of strategy between the two of them. That's coming up next on the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) 
Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. So people have been doing best ball drafts for a couple of months. I feel like those started pretty much right after the Super Bowl, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken. Yeah, I did one in February. I'm not I'm not proud, too proud to admit it. Uh, you know what? I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> a few years ago, I did a bunch of them in February. And by the time I got to August, I'm like, these are trash. What was I doing? That, I do like one just to look back and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so I haven't done that this year, but I have done a handful of best ball drafts. But. We're getting to the point where managed leagues, the leagues where you have to set a lineup week to week, uh, those drafts are starting to get going. Those leagues are starting to kind of open back up. And they are two very different formats and how you approach them, certainly draft-wise. For you, do you have a different overall strategy in best ball leagues versus managed leagues? Um, my strategy is often very similar between the two. Like I said, I'm receiver round one, running back. Like those, I'm going to do that in best ball and managed leagues. But... Because you can do more best ball, I I like to try out different ideas in them. Um, but besides that, I'm more likely to stack in best ball. I, I think that in managed leagues, like in redraft, if you're pulling a guy up the, the board just to stack him, it's not going to make that much of a difference when you're playing against 12 people. But when you're playing against a whole field of people, I, I see the advantage there. I also think... Uh, best ball, I'm paying much more attention to bye weeks because you can't change your lineup. You could have... Like in Scott Fish, you're like, I have to draft another quarterback later. Right. <laughs> if that was your problem in best ball, you're screwed. But in a in a seasonal league, I could just pick someone up and stream him that week. And in fact, I think it's somewhat of an advantage in the seasonal league to have all your bye weeks in one week. Whereas in a best ball, that's gonna sink your season. Yeah. So uh to me, it's just little things like that that I change. But for the I'm also in managed leagues in the early rounds, I like to build safe core. And then I just go pure upside. In best ball, I'll take more gambles early on. Right. And I think I think that's sort of a big thing there. There's always those guys we talk about where like, yeah, he's better in best ball because you just don't know the week to week variance is going to be really wide for some players. But when those spike weeks hit, they hit in a big way. I think the stacking thing is, is really a big one for me because uh, in a lot of those best ball leagues, I might take, you know, three guys from the same team. You know, I'll, I'll try to stack a quarterback with either a couple of receivers or a receiver and a tight end, even a receiver and like a pass catching running back to try and take advantage of that whole thing there. Um, you know, I know in some some best ball tournaments where you are looking at late season, you sort of try to build based on, say, week 17, because what happens there makes a big difference. If you are able to survive the whole season long thing and get to the postseason, uh, the, the late season tournament, then what happens in week 17 is important. So sort of looking ahead there, I think, makes more sense in best ball, whereas trying to look ahead, I think, in a managed league can be a little bit 
frustrating because teams are so different uh, from last year to this year and even from September to December. So I think that that makes it a little bit harder there. Um, do you do anything different at quarterback? Do you look at that differently at all? Um, not really. I So you obviously need more. Like if, if I have Josh Allen in a managed league or Jalen Hurts, I might not draft a backup. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to play this player every week, but they're bye week. But in best ball, you still need a second one in case of injury or in case of uh, for the bye week or anything like that. Um, but for the most part, I find myself attacking that position the same. Hmm. I would say that I, in best ball leagues, depending on when I, when I try to get a quarterback, right? If I decide to reach early for an Allen, a Hurts, or a Mahomes, then I may only draft two quarterbacks. If I am waiting... I very well may draft a third quarterback just because, you know, if I let's say I'm I wait and I get a I don't know, just a Geno Smith, uh, I draft an Anthony Richardson and you know, maybe I'll get a third quarterback a little bit later just to sort of hedge my bet a little bit. Give me some insurance. Either somebody gets hurt, somebody just is playing more poorly than we anticipated. Um, I, I just want that third option there in a best ball league. I will rarely draft more than two quarterbacks in a managed league. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. If I have a Jalen Hurts, that's who my quarterback is, and I'll figure it out, you know, for bye weeks or, you know, in case of injury. Uh, I'm not going to waste a second spot on a quarterback generally in a managed league. I will, again, same thing. If I'm waiting, if I'm drafting a Kirk Cousins, I'll draft a second quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> sort of have uh, as a backup. I, I think there. that is a good point, though, because as you were saying, and I'm like, yeah, I've I have taken shots on Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter in best ball. I'm not going to be doing that in a managed league. Right. Like, I'm not going to be going that deep at quarterback unless it's super flex. Exactly. Um, Are the top quarterbacks overpriced? I don't think so. I I think for the first time ever, they're appropriately priced. Hmm. Because you look at last season, um, Hertz, Allen, Mahomes were all around 25. Hertz led the way. He was over 25. The other two were just below it points per game. The only other quarterback to average over 20 per game was Joe Burrow. So for every and, and then if you start getting even a little bit past that to like the Daniel Jones range, now we're talking about the advantage being almost two passing touchdowns just on average. Then those those other big three have the ceiling to get you 30, 35 maybe even more than that, whereas no other quarterback has that type of upside. So I I do not do it in the second round because I think the running back value there is too good to pass up. But if one of those big three falls to me in the third, I have no problem taking that. See, that's sort of my thing. I can't – I don't have the stomach to draft a guy in the top two rounds. I can make an exception in the third round if one of those guys is there. And I think what it has done – is it has pushed up the ADPs of kind of that second group of quarterbacks. Because I think what happens is you get, you know, three quarterbacks off the board in rounds two and three. I think a lot of other people start looking around feeling a little bit of nervousness about, I got to get a quarterback. So then guys like Burrow and Herbert and Field see their ADPs get pushed up. Uh, mostly out of, I won't call it panic drafting, but concern drafting i guess you're just sort of like i'm a little bit worried let me make sure i get myself one of these top quarterbacks and so i think that sort of knocks those guys um up a little bit uh, other question i had is zero rb a better bet for best ball than say a managed league i i know a lot of people feel that it is mm. me personally i feel like it's better for managed leagues because hmm. say you're you're drafting 
six, you're going zero RB and then taking like six running backs, let's say. They're all going to be backups or or guys. So you're hoping for one of those two or multiple of those six to end up with a larger role than you're drafting them on. But in a managed league, you have the ability of playing the waiver wire. So if someone gets hurt, boom, I pick up their backup or something like that. So to me, the whole point of zero RB is like, oh, there's so much change in season at the position. But you can't guess that. You could try to guess it, but you're just guessing before in August, you know, but as the season plays out and you can actually take advantage of those changes to me, I think that is where I would at least be more comfortable implementing zero RB. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting way to look at it because I, I hadn't really considered it that way. I, I mean, I look at it as it's being good in best ball because, you know, if one of these other running backs you draft sort of has a random spike week, then you get to take advantage of that. And in the event that, you know, something happens to the guy in front of him, then you are kind of set up for that. But I do think I think that that idea, that point of being able to play the waiver wire um, sort of does give you a little bit more flexibility to kind of mix and match and swap guys in and out uh based on the situation they're in so i think that's i, I think that's fair both formats though i'm all in on here orb like, like i keep saying it's second round running back and then i'm probably waiting till maybe like the six but usually even a little bit later yeah I, that that hasn't been what i did for scott fishbowl but that has generally been my draft Same. strategy i have two running backs already <laughs> you know, like I, I went zero rb here but i've generally gone kind of the hero rb approach where i get one guy early and then i'll figure it out the rest of the way um is there a difference in what you do in late rounds in best ball versus managed leagues? Nope. Uh, <laughs> the only difference is in best ball, I'll, I'll pay more attention to like, do I need another backup tight end or mm. something like that? But the approach is the same for me. Upside, upside, upside. Because in a best ball league, you can't make pickups and stuff like that. A guy who can give you 10 points a week could be coming handy, but those spike weeks are, are what we're chasing in the format. Same way in... in uh, manned leagues, like, yeah, I could have a decent backup on my bench, but I always think those players hurt you more than anything because you don't want to put them in your starting lineup because they're not as good as your starters, but you don't want to cut them because you're like, oh, well, they're a reliable backup. And that means you get less upside shots on the waiver wire. So in the last few years, I've changed my approach to just be like, I'm going to target upside in the late rounds. And if they don't work out well then i could just keep cutting them and taking upside shots on the waiver wire and i think that's sort of it yeah i know that with managed leagues for instance i know adam rank's a big fan of like i'm not going to draft a kicker um i'm going to just keep drafting other guys because yeah one of those end of roster guys you're probably going to cut him anyway that's the guy you put back on the waiver wire to go get your kicker <laughs> for, <Yep. laughs> whenever, for whenever week one happens so uh, i think i think the upside thing is probably just the best part for any late round, regardless of the format, you just want those guys that have the opportunity to go out and get get targets, get touches, whatever it is, uh, and and try to find you some big weeks in there. However, it may work out. All right, let's do this. It's time for Florio's Film Festival. This week, we watched the movie Armageddon. The synopsis, after discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas will impact Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. Released July 1st, 1998, with a budget of $140 million, it grossed $553 million worldwide. Whew, you and I talked about this before the show started. I, I mentioned to you that I had seen this, obviously, before. I hadn't watched it from start to finish in a while. It was a rough watch. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> it I went was into rough. This, like, I put it on last night at... It was my fault. It was like 
eight thirty, almost nine o'clock, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is two and a half hours." <laughs> like my thing continues to be nineties movies. I feel like had to be over two hours. <laughs> it kind of was a thing. So, yeah, this movie could have been an hour and a half easily, maybe even shorter. <laughs> like an hour and a half into the like, I legitimately paused it and was like. I have less remaining than I've watched and they're only heading into space now. <laughs> like it, it just, and my thing was, I went into it thinking it was a good movie because back in the day, my dad had this weird thing where he would get to work early and then watch like 20, 30 minutes of a movie on a portable DVD player. Mm -hmm. And I remember him watching Armageddon and being like, oh, that looks like a halfway decent movie. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, this movie was bad this movie's bad it, it was definitely worse than i remember it being and the whole i was like watching it at home and i remember you know they get through the basically the character introductions and you meet the team and all this i paused it to go get up and get a snack or something like that and i paused it i'm like there's still an hour and 45 <laughs> minutes left of this movie like this there's a whole movie's worth of movie left and it was just i kept pausing it to go either go to the restroom or get a snack and i'm just like there's still an hour left there's still 45 minutes left yeah. This movie just, I mean, it's two and a half hours and you feel every minute of it. Because the the last 30 minutes maybe are what we tune into the movie for, right? Like, <laughs> right. are you going to stop the meteor or not? And like, <laughs> the whole thing with his daughter was weird. And I, I didn't need to watch them for 30 minutes actually training. I'm like, I'm not going up in the space to drill this. Just tell me they did the training. So... A couple of things about that. One, the the whole romantic thing. Uh, the original script did not include the romantic subplot between AJ and Grace. Uh, instead, had more emphasis on Truman, the uh, Billy Bob Thornton character. The romance was added after the success of Titanic with teenage girls. Uh, they decided that because of the whole Jack Rose thing and it was so popular in Titanic, let's just throw it into this movie, even if it doesn't really make sense. Also... Steve Buscemi, very popular in the movies we've watched mm -hmm. so far. Why does he play the weirdest people ever? Like, so <laughs> for no reason at all, the cops come or whoever comes to talk to Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. And Steve Buscemi's like, I didn't know her age. And I'm like, why did you have to put that so, in the movie? Another fun fact. It's funny you mentioned. Steve Buscemi claimed the role of Rockhound was pitched to him as a heroic geologist, which he eagerly accepted, wanting a change from the lowlifes whom, as whom he'd been typecast. <laughs> He noted that after he had been cast in the role, Rockhound's sleazy characteristics were written into the script. He was, he so was, he got duped into being in this movie. He was a cringy character. He was a very cringy character. He also said he basically just did it because he wanted to buy a bigger house. He was a good that paycheck. Makes sense. Yeah. The cast, the cast was the one saving grace. I was like, oh, a lot of these people went on to become very famous. Um, my favorite note from this movie, and I had heard this before, uh, you know, going through and finding these. Uh, regarding the film's premise, Ben Affleck asked director Michael Bay, wouldn't it be easier for NASA to train astronauts how to drill rather than training drillers to be astronauts? <laughs> that was my thought the whole time. And I believe Michael Bay's response was shut the F up and just act um, that they just tried to kind of use the script to cover it w up. Watching the movie, I was like, why would they pick these guys? <laughs> They've never been in space. They, they have no experience with any of this. And you have two weeks to get them ready to go to space. They also used the, the two weeks so poorly. <laughs> like, they didn't tell anyone. And then they waited until, like, they were like, well, if this fails, we're all we're screwed. <laughs> I was, 
do something in the meantime. I don't know. I, you know, it's funny too because I, I was sort of con- comparing and contrasting this movie in my head with Independence Day, which Independence we just Day watched. Was way better. Right? Independence Day was significantly better than this movie. In Independence Day, you got the feeling that it was a worldwide coalition. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the characters we followed were Americans, but you got the sense that the world was sort of in on trying to figure out how to stop the aliens. This was purely an American project <laughs> to stop this meteor. Like, this is a global thing. They're like, we can't let anybody know because it's going to be mass hysteria. And it was just some American. It was the it was NASA, the American, you know. N- space administration pulling some drillers off the coast of who who knows where and like either we get us done or we're all dead the end the only time you see the world is after they save it and everyone is celebrating i'm like so the whole world knew this thing was coming and no one else decided to do anything i I think like the way they make it seem is that the world didn't know until like basically a couple days before it was just like (laughs) hey so we're going up there uh wish us luck and you know then you see people around the world like praying and like getting their affairs in order sort of thing um i would like to think that like you know if this were really happening for all the divisions and differences we have as as a human race we we would come together to try to figure out how to not be you know destroyed as a people i also love I'm getting the, the, you know, I'm not, this isn't verbatim, verbatim or anything like that. But in the beginning when they're explaining, I forget if it's to the president or the general, but they're like, there's this meteor and it's coming and it's way bigger than the one that took out the dinosaurs. And they're like, so if it hits us, what's the damage? It's like, <laughs> you're dead. The whole world is dead. Like, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, like, and it's like, and it's the size of Texas. Like, yeah, if that hits us, it's a wrap for I, everybody. I was like, can you? Line it up to land perfectly on onto Texas, Texas? just like, so we can like <laughs> see if it really is the same size of Texas. Like that would be that would actually be kind of amazing. Also, I I know you watch the show. I'm a big fan of Rick and Morty. The mm-hmm. the general uh, is the voice actor who plays the president in Rick and yes. Morty, uh-huh. and that's all I could think of the entire movie. <laughs> She's like, show me what you got. Like the the first like 30 minutes, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's him. It has to be him. I Googled it. And then the rest of the time, I'm like. That is absolutely him. Yeah. Keith David is the guy who is uh, the general who also plays the voice of the president in Rick and Morty. Um, Some other fun facts. NASA shows this film during their management training program. New managers are giving the task of trying to spot as many errors as possible. At least 168 have been found. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, is this just some like the... The stuff of them going to space and stuff. I would about, assume, like, yeah, I would assume it's like the whole like training the astronauts going to space sort of thing. When when the first round of meteors hit, and I understand they say they say they're small, and then they go they range in size from a basketball to a Volkswagen. To a, I'm like that. That's pretty big. But if a meteor the size of a Volkswagen hit, it wouldn't just go straight into the ground. No, like it would cause a lot of damage. Yeah, like you know, a volleyball a volleyball sized meteor. Could put a pretty big hole in the ground. A Volkswagen-sized <laughs> meteor. It just, it, you know what it really reminded me of watching that scene? It felt like uh, in Endgame when, or maybe it's Infinity when Thanos shows up and mm-hmm. like their first like at, like shooting in New York City. Mm-hmm. I was like that. That's also another movie 
where the Twin Towers get got. They get got. I also was going to ask, I mean, you're a you're a New Yorker. Like, why is it that disaster movies love destroying the Chrysler building? Like, I feel like the Chrysler building favorite, gets it too. It is my lot. favorite building in New York. Like, I have it tattooed on me. It is, always has been my favorite building. And for some reason, yeah, movies are always like, that's the, the one like, to The destroy. Chrysler building it, always gets it. It's movies. not like, like, I understand the Twin Towers that are iconic. The Empire State Building. Like, that one is at least third in the pecking order of buildings. <laughs> like, ah, uh, it it always always gets wrecked. Uh, trying to see any other in- interesting notes. Uh, Liv Tyler turned down the role of Grace Stamper twice before finally accepting. I guess they just wore her down. <laughs> her like, do her character was just weird. I felt like it was weird, and it was also weird that you know her dad, aka Bruce Willis, seemed shocked that she would that a girl who grew up on oil rigs and around oil drillers would eventually date. And oil, she's uh, better than all of us. I like. I just, you know, I thought that was weird. I also thought it seems. I mean, I've never worked on an offshore oil rig. It seems unsafe to run around with a shotgun, yeah, blasting <laughs> on an and oil everyone's rig. Everyone's like on his side. I'm like, he's he could kill he all of kill you. Kill all of you. Like, I just that seems unsafe to be running around doing that uh, out the, there. The one thing I expected coming into this movie because it's Michael Bay was mm-hmm. a lot of explosions. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I didn't get as many explosions as I thought I was gonna. All right. Well, uh, to <laughs> to, uh, to hopefully help that we have a new we have a Michael Bay movie coming up next week. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know in a second. But first, I just gotta ask: um, w- Would you willingly watch this movie again? No. Right now, I'm debating where. So it comes in the bottom three. It's Face Off. Uh, the last action hero in Armageddon. I'm debating where amongst those it might come in last. I said, does it? Is it? Is it worse than Face Off? <laughs> it. Uh, I. Uh, to me it's between that and last action hero which was equally as long if you can't tell if the movie isn't good and is super long yeah like be not good and short and i'll love you <laughs> but if you're not good and long you like i always tell you i use the phone mm-hmm. test i had to remind myself to put my phone down during this movie i was like i need to actually pay attention a little i started doing I, a a best ball draft during I, it because <laughs> i got bored <laughs> i did think about you because i was like picking up my phone too and just like what is Oh, this movie's dragging. Um, so, all right. So, like this, this wow, this could have supplanted Face Off uh, potentially as the worst movie the, we have seen. The uh, my verdict uh, on if it doesn't hold up at all, but right. I did say after I was like, I feel like if you made this movie today with CGI and stuff, maybe it could be. And you made the characters more likable. You have to make them likable. You'd have to cut some things out. Yeah, we don't. We really didn't need so much on the the whole romantic thing no we didn't need the, that but the whole part where they're like in space the cat it's just like they had told the cameraman to like shake the camera a yeah. bunch i bet and right. like the grab everything looked pretty terrible i also think that the bruce willis's character if they remade it would probably be like jason statham i could see that you know i could see jason statham yeah in that role. The rock. just put the fast and the furious cast in right yeah, you know just, i mean basically they went to space they, they did go to space in their galaxy in their world if a meteor was heading to the world, they would send Vin Diesel to stop it. Absolutely. And Vin Diesel would like <laughs> punch it or something. <laughs> and the would rock dr- would just like hold it. He would like drive the car and like just, you know, hit it or whatever and, and that sort of thing. Uh, of the other note here, because I was telling you before the show, like as I'm going through and I'm finding notes like on IMDb, most of the notes and the, the trivia facts are about how bad this was <laughs> and how people hated it. Michael Bay thinks Armageddon is his worst film. I will apologize for Armageddon because we had to do the whole movie in 16 weeks. It was a massive undertaking. That was not fair to the movie. I would redo the entire third act if I could. That makes so, sense because I thought the entire third act was done very poorly. It was It was rushed. It was that very good. So we'll see a Michael Bay movie that I think was a lot better. 
The Rock from 1996, Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, stop a terrorist plot on Alcatraz Island. My one friend, uh, every time he has seen uh, like the barbecue and stuff, I know he's every time been like, you have to watch The Rock. Okay, well, there we go. So, uh, so it's already gotten an endorsement. Yeah, I'm like, is Armageddon of the movies we've watched, in your opinion, is it the worst? Um, I think Face Off is probably the worst. See, I have Last Action Hero right now. Last Action Hero was, was was pretty rough too. Um, I think I think I think because Face Off just disappointed me. I think I remember <laughs> remember seeing it in the theaters and thinking it was great and having it just built up in my head and watching it again and feeling really really let down. So maybe that's what it is. It's another movie that I feel like if they made it today with the technology advancements could be a lot better. Yeah, um, Nick Cage, you know, kind of helped. Save that movie sort of as much as possible. Um, Without him, it would have been absolutely awful. Uh, Nick Cage acting like John Travolta, acting like Nick Cage. uh, I want to get all of these 90s people together to make one last like action. I mean, isn't that basically what The Expendables was? Yeah, very true. (laughs) And watching that, I was like, yeah, this is, I don't believe that any of these guys could still do any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we'll watch The Rock, Nick Cage, Sean Connery, uh, Ed Harris. That should be a lot of fun. That will be on next week's show. Which, by the way, a side note, next week's show will be out on Thursday. Normally we do these on Wednesday. Uh, Next week will be on Thursday. We have uh, job responsibilities. We have uh, meetings and that sort of thing next week that uh, that will, will prevent us from doing it on our normal day. So uh, look forward to it then. In the meantime, that'll do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Stay happy, safe, and healthy. Do good and live well. Enjoy whatever movies you watch. Stay out of the heat, too, depending on where you live. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.